0: 30 for 30 podcast is brought to you by Delta Airlines. Delta flies to 300 cities around the world. That's 300 cities where everyone does the same things you do. That's 300 cities where the people in those 300 cities think they're the only ones who know about that one place. 300 cities where people miss someone in one of the other 299 cities. 300 cities where people sing in the car or in the shower or both. Poorly. Delta isn't flying to 300 cities merely to bring us together, but to show us we're not that far apart in the first place. Delta, keep climbing. Hello, and welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast. My name is Jody Avergan, and today we kick off a special summer series of sorts. Now, this year, 2019, is the 10th anniversary of 30 for 30. We now do podcast conversations and original audio documentaries and shorts and films But 10 years ago, this whole thing launched as a group of 30 films to celebrate 30 years of ESPN. Since then, we've gone way past 30 films, but we've kept that name. There
1: is a time to play, and there's a time to win. What do you do in winning time?
0: Everybody wanted to be me. Every man. Because I had the nicest clothes, the biggest cars, the biggest house, and the more women. And I was the best wrestler. People are going to believe what they want to believe in the past yeah. or, or anything. And like I said before, I really don't give a damn. I told a man, you're breaking the laws of God. And nobody does it with immunity. So in this summer series, we're looking back at 10 years of the films, and the goal is to look at some of the bigger themes in those documentaries and what has changed in the years since they came out. We obviously can't take on every film, but we're going to talk to directors, subjects, and do a few other things along the way. I think my favorite films may be the same as a lot of your favorites. O.J. Made in America, The Two Escobars, Fantastic Lies, Price of Gold. We're going to touch on all of those and lots more in this series. A few stats we gathered along the way about the series. It started in fall 2009 with the film King's Ransom about Wayne Gretzky going to the LA Kings. Shout out to Connor Shell, John Dahl, and Bill Simmons as the founding producers of the series. One really cool thing, though, is that a lot of the original 30 for 30 team is still here at ESPN and now helping us with the podcast. So a lot of those names that you hear in the credits of our show are also marking 10 years of doing this series. Depending a bit on how you do the math, there have been 110 films and counting, 67 shorts, four podcast seasons and counting, one Oscar, a Peabody, a bunch of Emmys and Webbys and other things along the way. We've worked with about 90 directors. You'll hear from a bunch of them as we go on with this series. There has only been one sequel, The U Part 2. We're going to touch on that today, actually. And then there's that catchphrase, what if I told you?
1: What if I told you he wasn't the greatest? That a country would fail to protect its greatest natural resource.
0: You hear people riffing on that all the time. If you search Twitter after any big sporting event, you get people writing their own, what if I told you taglines. Now, what if I told you that this intro is going on too long? We should get on with the show. So that's probably enough setup. As I said, we're going to do a bunch of these episodes all summer. We'll give you a few in a row this week and then do another batch in August, which will be right in the run up to our next season of original audio docs. But I think you're going to like this series. I had a real fun time putting this together and having all these conversations. So let's get into the first episode where we're going to look at a few of what I think are safe to say some of the most popular 30 for 30s, some fan favorites, and they come from director Billy Corbin. One thing I really like about Billy's films is that he's based in Miami and he likes to take on projects that highlight his hometown. One of his first projects, Cocaine Cowboys, told the story of Miami's drug war in the 1970s and 80s. His first 30 for 30 was The U, about the rise and eventual dominance of the University of Miami Hurricanes football team in that same era. We can liken it to Cinderella coming to the ball. Five years ago, who would have thought it? Who ever heard of the University of Miami Hurricanes? And now they're the number one team in the nation. He went on to direct The U Part two and Broke, which looked at how athletes lose all their money. Young athletes and their millions,
1: the pitfalls of that much money. It's not unlike people who win the lottery. And now make that lottery winner 21 years old.
0: I interviewed him on his home turf in Miami, which is also the home of his production company, Tour. Let's take a listen. Billy Corbin, welcome to the 30 for 30 podcast and welcome to our anniversary series for the 10th anniversary of 30 for 30. The 30th anniversary of the 30
1: for 30 series. Just That's what lot. it feels like. There's
0: just a lot of numbers. Yeah. So look, I actually want to start uh, with a question about Miami. So we're here in Miami. We're doing this interview on your home turf. I'm curious if there is a idea about Miami or a side of Miami that
1: you are trying to explore in your work in general. Well, we're here in South Beach mm-hmm. and these are basically the... 10 blocks between Ocean Drive and 5th and 15th that everybody in the world knows of and thinks of when they hear Miami. Uh, It doesn't matter if they hear Miami or Miami Beach. In fact, famously, LeBron misidentified the city that he was going to be playing in when he said, I'm going to take my talents to South Beach. But he wasn't even in this city where (laughs) where he played. He played in the city of Miami on the other side of the causeway. But that is the common misconception. So what I like to sort of what I say, our work at Rack and Tour does is we like to shine a spotlight on those parts of Miami that maybe don't get a lot of love, that don't get a lot of sunshine, you know, that maybe people don't, that aren't as famous because people don't talk about them as much because they're not as glamorous. I mean, you have to remember this place is is like a third world country. The disparity between the haves and the have-nots. I mean, the income gap is widest and getting wider uh, here first and faster than almost any city or or. or Uh, urban center in the country, 60 percent, six zero percent of residents in this county cannot make ends meet. Mm -hmm. So we we do what we do for the 60 percent, if you will, or and about the 60 percent.
0: But is there any part of you then as you try and then push against the glossy image of Miami and find the grittier or darker uh, side, are you worried that you're potentially perpetuating a different image? perpetuating the truth i have no pro i have no qualms with that. no but i mean if you watch <laughs> cocaine cowboys you know um you maybe have the notion that miami is just full of
1: drugs and guns well it was yeah uh now a little less yeah. yeah um and that's that's an interesting thing about miami it's a famous saying that i always that i always repeat that um los angeles is where you go when you want to be somebody New York is where you go when you are somebody. And Miami is where you go when you want to be somebody else. Hmm. It's always been a sunny place for shady people. It's just a really exciting place to do what we do. You know, even though a lot of people refer to us as local filmmakers. And, and we are. We're Miami people. We're a Miami company, a Miami brand that tells Miami stories. Um, but yet, it's, our projects aren't provincial. They seem oh, yeah. to travel really well. And I'll give you a perfect example. I needed to interview a Colombian money launderer for a project that we were working on uh, in in recent years. I get this call. We start talking. I'm trying to think of like, where's my common ground? So he said, tell me a little bit about yourself and your work. And so I lead with cocaine cowboys. I'm like, this guy's a Colombian money launderer, you know, for, for, for drug dealers. And, and, you know, he's going to know cocaine cowboys. So um, perhaps that was a little stereotypical of me, but I was trying to put my best foot forward. And he goes, what is your name again? Billy Corbin. He goes, did you do the you? <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I love that movie. That's my favorite." And I was like, "You guys, you saw that? Down the oh yeah, we lo-. And he's like, oh, "I love it, and I love Michael Irvin, and I love I watched him when he played in Dallas." And I was like, "That's hilarious." Here I I led with the wrong. Uh, yeah. I buried the lead here. You know. <laughs> um, let's talk about the You. The
0: Absolutely, it was a dynasty, and it
1: was. The team of the 80s. Coaches change, and they still won championships. And they're not just a dynasty, they're a pioneering dynasty. They did it first. We set a tone for not just sports, but for a culture.
0: It's all about the U. It all happens only
1: at the U, baby.
0: So around our offices at 30 for 30, uh, the folks who have been there, I've only been there a few years, but the folks who've been there since the beginning talk about it as kind of the first film in the series that really broke through and just got buzzy in whatever way you wanted to find that. Uh, did you recognize that at the time? And do you have a sense of why why that
1: was? Yeah, it's funny because through the years, people you know will speak to me and they'll be like, oh, you, you did the you, the first 30 for 30. Right. And I'm like, no, actually, I think we were like the fifth or the sixth or the seventh. I was like. I, I always correct them, but then I, I realize it's probably the first one that many people remember. But why do you think it holds that place? There's a lot of things going on. First of all, it was the first feature. The other ones prior to that were only running an hour. So this was like a movie. It was an event. Obviously, thanks to our friends at, at ESPN, we got that time slot, man, after the after the No, uh, people mentioned that in the
0: office. I mean- Oh, hell yeah. Th- that it was- Right after the Heisman and the power yeah. of just being in a great time slot still really matters.
1: We we definitely, you know, had that had that advantage. Um, I also think, as as Dan Lebitard uh, likes to say, we sort of invented the genre of sports porn. So what style. is what is the sports porn? Is it archival? Is it a particular kind of story? Is it an editing technique? Yeah, I think it's this. I mean, first of all, we approach the you like we approach cocaine cowboys with that level, with that sort of aesthetic. Um, I'll put it this way. Like when we made cocaine cowboys, our approach to it was. Not let's make a documentary. It was let's make a gangster movie. Let's approach this like Scorsese would approach any scripted or dramatic feature. Um, and with the U, it was the same thing. It's like, let's make a sports movie. Not a documentary, but a sports movie. And that's like the, the worst kept secret in filmmaking is that sports movies are like the easiest movies to make. They're like cheating. All of the essential ingredients in drama are inherent in sports, meaning they're all, they already exist. And it was already inherent in the youth story. University of Miami is is very uniquely situated in the fact that they were such an insurgent team. It's a tiny private school in Coral Gables, Florida.
0: In comes Howard Schnellenberger, and that's when the buzz started. Before 1979, very few Afro-Americans would consider coming to the University of Miami. They looked at it as a great white ivory towers of a private school.
1: Howard Schnellenberger didn't invent, but he mastered the idea of recruiting from some of the toughest neighborhoods in Miami. That's where the University of Miami changed the face of college football. They went out and they went into those areas where no one else would go.
0: I got a call from everybody
1: saying some white guy up here trying to see you. But then they see, they say, that's Coach Stellenberger. This guy come in with his deep voice, very intimidating. I'm Coach Howard Stellenberger. Would you want to be part of the University of Miami tradition? And they called each other and said, we're coming to Miami. If you come with us, we're really going to be good. Y'all say, you know what? We're going to put this team on the map. These young guys from some of the toughest neighborhoods, not only in Miami, but in the country, uh, basically had the weight of the community on their shoulders and were representing this down-and-out city at a very difficult time in our history.
0: And you know, the people are just giving a little more pride and something to talk about now. They can talk about the championship game. They made a city forget a drumbeat of bad headlines and news pictures, racial strife, riots, drug wars, and crime.
1: We gave South Florida a sense of pride, whether it was the Cuban community,
0: African-American community. Around Miami, college football has brought everybody together.
1: That pressure and the idea that they represented... The city and that uh, everybody was down on Miami and everyone was de- everyone was down on the Canes It was all kind of built in. And so and was that
0: something you kind of knew going in that this is really a story about a, a city and a school and a football program and then individual players within all of that? They're all kind of following the same arc or was that something you discovered as you started to report?
1: Oh, no, I think a lot of and I think you'll hear this from a lot of filmmakers, uh, particularly documentary filmmakers. is It was sort of and everybody has different terms that they use. We call it micro macro. You know, uh, it's a mosaic. We knew all these tiles in the mosaic were going to be our interview subjects uh, and these micro stories. But the macro was something much bigger, which was, of course, the story of this community and the story of how I think uh, the University of Miami Hurricanes were really on the forefront of this melding of sports and entertainment and really urban culture becoming popular culture, particularly with Uncle Luke and two live crew. The Florida furor that has engulfed 29-year-old rap musician Luther Campbell and his group 2Live Crew today spread to communities across the
0: country. Luke Skywalker, as a lot of people know him as, he was probably the biggest
1: rap mogul going during that time.
0: Luke helped put the university on the map just as the players did. When his rap videos, they always wore University
1: of Miami merchandise. Luther made us feel like we were rock stars. People wanted to be close to that buzzing, vibrant, hype-filled danger. It was just sort of unapologetic, um, and so you had a lot of guys who were reliving their glory years in real time.
0: We were bad boys, and we were enjoying being bad boys.
1: Time Magazine called the Miami Hurricanes the best and most troublesome team in the country. Haines, it just took no from nobody. Our play was kind of mocking What you thought traditional football should be. America was aghast at the ass kicking and the way the ass kicking was being celebrated.
0: So when you watch this movie now and you look back, it really does feel like of an era when America and the media in particular. I'm curious how much you think this is a story about the media, you know, was really obsessed with this notion of athletes feeling themselves and athletes being vocal uh, and brash. And then that being conflated with
1: notions of thuggishness and so forth. Do you feel like that's changed
0: now? Are we living in a different era?
1: Oh, yeah, because uh, Colin Kaepernick is uh-huh. starting next uh, next season, isn't he? Mm-hmm. No, it's the same. It's the same shit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, and it's not a matter of athletes doing it. It's a matter of black people doing it. <laughs> we don't need to talk in code words. Uh, America has uh, much of America. I think a little bit less so in urban centers like Miami, and New York, where we have, there's diversity, but a lot of America rejects uh, African Americans taking a stand or a knee for that matter, Uh, rejects African Americans uh, expressing themselves in any way that they find to be out of line. The celebrations and stuff like that, that was still taboo to a lot of old America.
0: You don't like us dancing, then don't let us get in the end zone.
1: A lot of people looked at University of Miami and say, geez, you know, these guys, you know, they're out there somewhere. Uh, They're too cocky. They're too confident. But but we were confident. You know, we were cocky and we were very talented. We were the upstart program that was kicking everyone's ass. So they
0: had to be bad. They had to be doing something illegal. They must have a bunch of criminals.
1: I think you really see the dark side of America. It's one of America's longest traditions, uh, racism and the subversion of the rights and, and ability of, of minorities to express themselves. And I think that that's what, that's what the guys experienced in the 80s at the University of Miami. Something about that team, something about that time, something about that style made a lot of people uncomfortable, made a lot of people take sides. And it's because it was young African-Americans, for the most part, brand of bravado a different style University of Miami never seen. Everybody looked at us
0: from the outside as... Thug you or gangsters it was a lot of bigotry
1: and i think that's what a lot of athletes experience today i'm curious
0: about looking at college football now when i was watching the u the first part and at the end you have a you know all these accolades about the power of miami football and my first thought was wow all of these you know win loss records and all this incredible dominance has probably been replaced by alabama football at this point if you, if you had to update those Those end credits. But moreover, then, you know, you think about what Alabama football is now from a personality standpoint versus what those Miami teams were from a personality standpoint back then. And I wonder if it says anything about the changing nature of college football. Alabama is so personality less, in my
1: opinion. Um, Yeah, I mean, call me a cynic. I mean, I think part of what the U captures and why I think it's endured in its popularity is an era of college football that we'll never see again. It's a bygone era. And it's an era in which we all remember those of us who are of a certain age, like that is the era of college football we were brought up in. That was a, a golden era, really. And so um, it is now a multi-billion dollar business. When you have brands and you have a multi-billion dollar interest, you have to protect those brands and you have to protect that business. And so you, you start to get a kind of sanitized corporate vibe around college football. Uh, I mean, uh, we talk programs. about the top college football coaches right now.
0: Yeah, is that It's like really efficient CEOs?
1: Absolutely. And and that's no fun. That's no Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson rolls into Coral Gables and has as much bravado as anybody in the game. Lily White, red hair, Twain talking. He should have coached games with his middle fingers extended throughout the game. That's no Howard Schnellenberger. You know, that's no Dennis Erickson. I think having Dennis Erickson as coach was like having a substitute teacher come in. When a substitute teacher comes in, everybody's rowdy. He was trying very hard to keep a hundred pit bulls on the chain, uh, sometimes successfully, often not. You know, guys who 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 were interesting characters in and of themselves that guided interesting characters on the field a lot of time people have you know rose-pedaled glasses and look back with nostalgia that is sort of falsely generated you know i think that was a very real legitimately kind of romantic and exciting time when the players could be players and they don't get that now they're all part of a, a machine that is designed to make the coaches rich that is designed to make the universities rich that is designed to make the ncaa rich that's no fun We're going to take a quick break, but when
0: we come back, we're going to discuss Billy Corbin's film Broke and how athletes are turning the corner on their finances. And this kind of surprised me. He says that Broke is one of his least favorite films, so we'll find out why. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by State Farm. These days, everyone is busy and may not know where to start when it comes to insurance. Well, State Farm has over 19,000 agents across the country who are here to help life go right. They're willing to sit down and take the time to understand what's important to you and create a customized plan to help you protect it. Think of your State Farm agent as that person on the court who is always reading the defense and knows exactly where you'll be even before you get there. When you have a State Farm agent on your team, you can always trust that they've got you. State Farm, here to help life go right. 30 for 30 podcasts are brought to you by OnStar. Now, no one likes to think about getting in a crash, but if one happens in an OnStar-equipped vehicle, you have people looking out for you. Special sensors can alert OnStar advisors to a crash. They can connect to your vehicle and get you the help you need, even if you can't ask for it yourself. Because when the unexpected happens, the last thing you want is to be alone. OnStar, be safe out there. Automatic crash response requires OnStar plan, working electrical system, cell reception, and GPS signal. OnStar links to emergency service, details, and limitations at OnStar.com. My first contract, $6 million over over five years. $7.6 million. $33.5 million for seven years. I'm just here to tell you, man, it doesn't last forever. I ended up to the point where I was broke. Before you know it looked up, I was broke. So let's talk about broke. Uh, one of my favorite things in journalism is when you encounter something that it's kind of answering a very simple question that you had all along. Didn't maybe realize you had it, but then something comes along and says, here's an exploration of that. And that was my experience watching broke for the first time. was like, oh yeah, I've always wondered, why do these athletes... Go broke in this way. Such a simple question. Was that kind of what was driving it for you as well?
1: Yeah, bro- broke was a real struggle, um, and 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 I have it's 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 one of the few projects that I have the most regret about that we've ever made. Really, it's one of the few projects like of ours that I can't watch ever again or anymore. And so it was really difficult to make. I wanted it to be about the people, but it was ultimately about the problem. Um, and that was a, as a result of how few people wanted to talk to us oh, about it. Broke was a bit more of a compromise. Well, and Broke was identifying an existing
0: problem that was a failure um, on a lot of people's parts, including the
1: leagues. And so... I will say yeah. that we originally pitched it as a series. Oh, interesting. And that every week we would profile a different player. And and there the vision was to make it about the people. And when we when it became a 90-minute feature yeah. doc... It became about the problem instead of about the people. And so we structured it basically in that way with the chapters. It was like, okay, here's your step-by-step guide how to go broke. Yeah, yeah. Because I, like you, had the same question. How the hell do you generate $50 million, $100 million, $400 million in revenue over a life, over a career, and, and it disappears? So, and as it turns out, by the way, it's incredibly easy to do that. Most people are not prepared to manage those types of assets. You got champagne taste, but you only got beer money. That's not good. We filed tax returns in nine to ten states. You know, depending on how many games you play, if you go to the playoffs, you have to pay in every state.
0: Then they have to pay their agent.
1: Three percent of your contract.
0: Money brings women. Huge medical expenses and costs. Buying people houses, cars, whatever I thought they needed. I take care of about five households. I couldn't say no. Unbroke as a... As a film, I mean, the format of Broke is kind of new and interesting. It certainly popped out for me when I first saw it. Um, I don't know how you describe it, but it's basically like one long montage. What everyone is facing straight into the camera, and there's just a lot of talking heads like piled back up up on top of each other. There isn't a ton of B-roll. I mean, it just felt
1: like different. Let me tell you why there's not a ton of (laughs) B-roll. The NBA, Uh the NHL. And Major League Baseball refused to license archive footage for use in the documentary because of the subject matter. The NFL, to their credit, would take our money. Uh, they they are the, that's that's why come they're the they're the biggest league, I guess. You know the you know <laughs> they they make the most money. That's the reason why. So, like I said, there was yeah. a lot of limitations. If you're getting at broke is a bit of a mess. I would I'd be no, inclined to agree mess. with you. I, I'll <laughs> tell you this: I have no. Our office is filled with movie posters of our projects. I've no I have movie posters in my home but of other movies. You know as like art on the walls. I have no posters of any of my own work at home except over my toilet is the broke poster. <laughs>
0: See, it's funny. I think we've switched roles here. You think we've we're I mean, a different. I'm, I actually, you know, really re- enjoyed it when I rewatched it, and moreover, was like, oh, this is something that I can tell had a had a real world impact. Which, as part of this tenth anniversary series, like I'm really drawn to those films that have sort of updated and the story has changed and has maybe you can point and say, oh, it's it's had this impact, uh,
1: both as a film and as a the, the subject matter it's covering. The thing that made that was most heartening about it was that when it aired, um a lot of professional athletes, a lot of big players were tweeting about it and saying everybody needs to turn this on right now, number one. Number two, in fact, actually in reverse order, that's number two. Number one, there was a lot of uh, tweets and messages and posts from college players who were posting the sentiment of, I'm not going to be in broke two, in broke part two, you know, and it was a stylish way, a scared straight kind of way to make people pay attention to it and, and maybe in a more entertaining way, I guess, to take it more seriously instead of just this dry kind of yeah. like some dude up giving a PowerPoint presentation with a bunch of spreadsheets, you know? And and, and I think maybe that's what broke it, is, is made athletes decide to take it more seriously and to pay better uh, attention to it, maybe.
0: I do think, and I think this is one of the most fascinating trends in professional sports right now, athletes are starting to think of themselves uh, not just as, rich people but as like wealth creators they are thinking thems- of themselves as i don't just play a sport and get a paycheck i own my entire kind of universe of wealth that can be created around me and i'm going to set myself up
1: long term i think smart is the new stupid because it used to be cool yeah. to be stupid with your money to be ostentatious to flaunt it it was the bling-billing era uh,
0: I-, I guarantee you, i spent a million dollars on a jewelry on a jury Clothes, shoes, what's the latest Nike?
1: Probably one of the dumbest things I ever bought was a fox coat. I've only worn it maybe three times. Conspicuous consumption, making it rain.
0: Making it rain is just a hip-hop's way of translating that absurdly American
1: notion of throwing money away. you are talking about throwing money up and actually coming down like raindrops. I was caught up like everybody else. I think there's a, there's a still a culture of that, but I think that that post great recession and post broke, in a way, if I could be so so bold, is to be a little more conservative and to be like, okay, I could walk into this locker room every game with a brand new five thousand dollar tailor made suit, or I could put all my kids through college. Meaning, like, I could be the dude that that drives a Mazda, you know, and you know something modest and and bank that money because the or bottom, I can
0: start a suit company. And be a business yeah. owner.
1: Wait. I mean, if you do it smart, yeah. yeah. If you do it smart, um, yeah, you could be your own cottage right. industry. And uh, a lot of players have. Um, it, you could, that's the, the really tragic thing about it is that when you think about how much good can be done uh, and accomplished with all of that, that revenue that, is, uh, that in many cases is squandered, um, that's the, sort of the tragedy of broke. Is that these guys work so hard for that money. I don't care what anybody says. The market has, de- has determined that they are worth what they are being paid. Uh, in many cases, these guys are sacrificing their brains and their bodies and their bones and their blood, and they're earning that money. And to see, it not, for, to see them not even be able to take care of their own families with it, to me, is a tragedy, uh, let alone all the good that can be done on top of them yeah. taking care of their families if they do it uh, uh, the smart way.
0: Let's ask some questions that we're going to try and ask of everyone who's part of this series. So other than the ones you've directed, what is your favorite 30 for 30?
1: Well, I mean, the obvious one is, is OJ.
0: That's the mic drop to uh-huh. me. That's what should. So you know, we're putting ass- a asterisk or putting it off to
1: the side. So OJ's off okay. to the side, acknowledged. Other than OJ, okay. I I love Small Potatoes mm-hmm. in no small part because I feel like it's it's like I said it's one of the underrated ones. It doesn't get a lot of love, but I think it. I think it's funny. I think it's charming. I think it's the the footage is amazing. Um, and and it's one of the the docs like the U that kind of is the precursor to a lot of other you know a lot of like the XFL doc you yeah, know yeah. it kind of is the precursor to that it set the tone for for stuff like that and I, and I think it's uh obviously it has great historic significance uh, as well
0: and I don't know if this question is is going to lead to the same answer or not but you know is there another one that you kind of wish you'd directed meaning like oh man I
1: wish I'd had my crack at that story two escobars yeah the bottom line is there's like I mean there's like 90 yeah. great 30 for 30s I mean and I I have to shout out all the folks from ESPN and from ESPN Films and the 30 for 30 team who at that point were not really getting a lot of love and respect from, I think, the indie film community and the indie doc community that they deserved. Because the truth of the matter is, is that now through the years, you know, through the, the Peabody's and the Emmys and the Oscars now, I think people uh, acknowledge it. But it, it took a while because yeah. it was like, oh, it was sports stocks. And it's like, what is sports but but life? What is sports but but America? What is sports but a reflection of the best and worst of of humanity and and the world? So I but it took a while for that to really catch on. And and, and I think that uh, I think that the opportunities that it's created for storytellers to tell stories that would otherwise never be able to be told about sports uh, is, is extraordinary. Final question, and I don't know if you do
0: this, but I do this now. As I make these things, I watch sports and I just think inherently through the lens of, oh, man, I would love to tell that story you know, in a, in a few years. Or I look into the past and
1: I say, wow, I want my – so if there's some sports story that you could call dibs on, what would it be? The one I've always wanted to make, the, the 30 for 30 that got away or, or has, been, <laughs> has been elusive, I should say, the elusive 30 for 30. The bad boys of summer, the 86 Mets which the way we would tell it is basically the U in New York of baseball, the U yeah. of baseball in New York. Uh, you have, again, the city in the 80s that was really taking quite a beating uh, in terms of its reputation, in terms of its crime rate, uh, in, in terms of, I mean, literally every piece of pop culture from that era includes a mugging. And, and yet you had this team uh, in the Mets that was like this sort of band of misfit toys you know uh, uh like the U. uh you know those miami hurricanes teams of the 80s represented the city and the city rallied around them as as they became these un, this unlikely cinderella story the U of baseball in new york in the 1980s Sells itself the bad boys of summer the 86 Mets. all right billy corbin this has been really fun thanks for letting me come to miami and, and chat with you Thanking me for like I have to like I'm the ambassador here. Hey, you I have showed to, up. I had <laughs> <laughs> apparently on Miami Standard Time, yes, that's as true. we call it. That's true. No, but seriously, this was fun. Thanks. Thanks again. Thanks for having me.
0: Billy Corbin is the director of three films in the Thirty for Thirty series: The U, The U Part Two, and Broke. Those films are available exclusively within the ESPN app on our new streaming service, ESPN Plus. If this anniversary series is getting you excited to rewatch some of your favorite 30 for 30s or watch some for the first time, ESPN Plus is the place to do that. Every film, all 10 years and counting, is there. You can sign up now and enjoy a seven day free trial. There is a link in the description of this podcast. So that's one episode down in our anniversary series, which continues all this week. Next up, Billy Corbin directed three 30 for 30s. Tomorrow we will hear from the person who has directed more of these than anyone else, six of them, including this one.
1: In America, people always want me to talk about the miracle on ice. You
0: believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable!
1: But we made our own miracles. And
0: that's what I want to talk about.
1: While the Russians, on
0: the other hand. My name is Jody Evergan. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more 30 for 30.